to be a part of the conversation. Call us now on 010-0011-004. And uh, Legal Talk, alhamdulillah, we like to welcome uh, you all. And uh, just sit back, and, inshallah. And uh, this evening, once again, it's our attorney. And his uh, attorney, Hafiz Muhammad Kudwadia has joined us and always a welcome site on the platforms of Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahl-Sunnah on Jama'ah. He adds value and uh, really, really gives us a brilliant show. 10 out of 10 times. No, no, I didn't know. I will never say 9 out 10 out of 10 when uh, Muhammad uh, Kuvadia, Hafiz, attorney Hafiz Muhammad Kuvadia is with us. Just be cool, calm and collected. Hafiz Muhammad Kuvadia, our Alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Tell me, how are you doing this fine, beautiful evening on Legal Talk? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Always a pleasure. I'm and we'll always will have those warm feelings for each other. Well, I want to tell the people that uh, you are busy. You are busy this earlier uh, today giving a Juma talk. And uh, yeah, many say, hey, Shafat, get our uh, attorney, Hafiz Muhammad Kuvadia, to give us a gist of what he said. Hafiz, Bismillah. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Gee, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has graced us from time to time. He, has, he continues to grace us. With the opportunity for have for being a guest on your talk show, legal talk, Alhamdulillah. From time to time, we have to go out and we do our our programs. But today, I was asked to give a talk to a masjid that consists of predominantly non-Muslim new Muslims, and the talk was on the proximity of 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 Hajj, the proximity of Eid, the anticipation of Eid in the beautiful month of the Hajj. And we know, alhamdulillah, I think uh, we've taken it for granted so many years, year in and year out, that when it comes to this Qurbani Eid, this Bakri Eid as we know it, that we're going to slaughter an animal and we're going to feast and we're going to make merry. But sometimes we need to think about the lessons. Ibrahim, alayhi salam, the relationship that he had with his father and the relationship that he had with his son. And he had to literally place his son down as a sacrifice, not knowing what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had in store for him. And his total submission, and the submission of his son Ismail to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is such a huge lesson. Yet the message goes out to the listeners is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not instruct us to sacrifice our children. He asks so much less of us. He does not ask for us to commit suicide or to do something as far-fetched, something as meritorious as the actions of Ibrahim Islam. We as Muslims, we have so little, uh, we have so much less in terms of a sacrifice that we need to give on this beautiful day. In fact, it's such a day that for us, it's a day of blessings. It's such a virtuous day. In such a virtuous month, without forgetting how beautiful the days, the first 10 days of Zilhaj are, and that of all the months and of all the 10 days, these 10 days, I, these 10 days 
even more virtuous than the 10 days of Ramadan. It's the 10 nights of Ramadan that could be more virtuous than these 10 days. But these 10 days need to be considered very carefully. And Alhamdulillah is a word of encouragement to our listeners. We are only on the precipice. We're only on day one of the 10 days of the Hajj. Each, or, each and every one of us can take full advantage. If we never did it in the past, Allah, we seek forgiveness from Allah for being lackadaisical about it. We ask Allah to forgive us for our shortcomings, but today is the start of the next 10 days. Let us use this opportunity in a way that we can from year to year improve our condition. We know there are people out there that are going to prepare for the Hajj in a few days' time, and that is their Hajj, that is their reward, that is their sacrifice. But for the rest of us, we've got other days of sacrifice, there's days that we should fast, there's the days that we should increase our charity, we should consider our musallis in our masjid. You know, sometimes I was just speaking to somebody today, and Shafat, this person mentioned to me that in their masjid, they don't put the hot water on in winter because a lot of people, he meant maybe the blacks, the indigenous, the foreigners, don't have hot water at home and they're coming and they're bathing and, they, and, they, and, they, and they're taking, uh, using the hot water in the masjid. And I said, you know what? If the masjid can't provide these types of services to the free, people who frequent the masjid, then the masjid needs to consider their position very carefully. If a masjid cannot provide hot water so that somebody living in an informal settlement comes to the masjid and wants to use the hot water, then you really need to consider then, you know, what's the purpose of the masjid? I informed this brother, I said, speak to the Matawalis in the masjid. See if there isn't an opportunity to build a shower so that these people, we complain that some of these people come to the masjid, they're smelling, they're they, they sweaty, they, their clothes are not clean. But what opportunities are we providing for them? If we give them a shower and we're able to give them an opportunity to wash their clothes in a, in a, in a decent environment, then you'll find that we have, then they have no excuse. If we don't give them these opportunities, then we start making these silly remarks, we start criticizing them, and yet they're the ones that want to pray. The people that want to pray in the masjid, we're chasing them out. And the people, you know, this is unfortunately the reality. We need to, we need to encourage people to come to the masjid, no matter what the costs are. And alhamdulillah, I can safely say that our at our markers, we have a shower, we have some clothes, it's not new clothes, it's used clothes. For anybody that embraces Islam, that wants to go take a shower, for any Muslim that wants to take a hot shower, he's free to come into our center, he's free to use the shower, he's free to clean himself up, and uh, he can come to masjid in a decent uh, humanitarian way. And I think it's important, maybe we need to go back and revisit what our masjid is for, and what are we doing in our masjids. And these are some of the things that we need to consider doing very carefully. Maf, I, I went off the topic a little bit, but you, you caught me off guard. And now that you know, we, we had this discussion, I felt it was necessary for us to have this discussion. No, actually, that's not off guard. It's uh, uh, what we should be doing for our fellow Muslim brothers uh, that are refugees, uh, that are with us and uh, do not have the facil uh, facilities. And are uh, we being rather selfish, as you said. And in your case, uh, Muhammad, uh, I can say this uh, quite openly that uh, uh, my beloved brother, yeah, he walks the talk and he will put his hands in his own pockets, people. And, uh, you know, 
our uh, attorney Hafiz, uh, you know, Muhammad Kuvadia, does his own. Yeah, he funds his own uh, DAWA organization. Uh, one or two people may come up and say, you know, Muhammad, we'd like to, and he'll, he'll insist, no, no, it's okay, I'm okay, I'm comfortable. But uh, what you've made, you, you made such a, a valuable point, and I, knowing you, I said, okay, if you, uh, I'll pay the water account, I'll pay for that electricity, don't worry. But Allah bless you for that, Muhammad, and I think it's important uh, that you brought up this issue, and uh, we need to have a uh, robust uh, debate within ourselves, or perhaps look deep within ourselves and see how far we have uh, gone or how far we have developed, or we still have that Arab mentality. Yeah, you know that uh, Jahiliya mode, when they used to look down upon people, and maybe we need to get uh, rid of some of those things that may be inherent in us. I'm just saying some of us, not all of us. And uh, this is G. Uh, Muhammad. I, you know, I invite our my brothers and sisters, come into the informal townships, come into the, 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 the squatter camps, like say, Take a walk through it. Understand how difficult basic essential services are for some of these people. Some of these people work in our homes. When they see our lifestyles, when they busy, when they really cleaning up after us, and then go back and actualize that, put that in its framework and say, this person looks at us every day and says, this person has access to hot water, has access to a geezer, he wants a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, and in two minutes his cup of tea is ready for him. Look at the difficulties in the squatter camp. Look at the plight of these people. And alhamdulillah, I've been given this opportunity over and over again. In fact, the masjid that I made, the Juma today, is in the heart of the squatter camp. And very few alims will actually come into these centers because you're not going to get your... 100 or 200 people there for Juma, and then of course you know in fact when we start the topic we have to actually begin to describe what Eid is what Kurbani is because a lot of people this is their first Eid they've been Christian or they've been non-Muslim until now a few months ago or uh, so so for them this Eid is something extremely new to them and when we explain things, we have to explain things at the grassroots level. Now imagine I'm talking to people and I'm telling them the virtue of Gurbani, knowing fully well that nobody sitting in the Jama'a will be able to make a Gurbani. Their financial oh. situation is so dire that they themselves, I'm talking to them about the virtue of the hooves and the hair and the skin and the horns and everything, knowing full well that none of them have the financial resources to even slaughter one sheep this Gurbani. So how different do you need to direct? How sensitive are the issues? As much as you talk about Hajj, as much as I spoke about Hajj today, at the same time, I in my heart can only pray that they can even see a picture of the cover because the situation is so dire. They don't even have, their socks got holes, their shoes got holes. And you're talking to them about something that's so far-fetched, about traveling 6,000 kilometers on a 100,000 rand hatch ticket. How in their wildest imagination. And these are people that have the same level of entitlement to this religion that you and I have. They may have come into Islam six months ago, but alhamdulillah, if they have the resources, they are entitled to go for Hajj. They are fasting during the month of Ramadan. Now we're coming into the into the Qurbani, into Eid al-Adha situation. And how do we encourage them? So from our side, what we do is we start uh, one 
one sheep in the outside the masjid and the, the, the musallis and the families and they come and they cook the meat and they feed in whatever meat is there available. They take it home and they use it over the next few days. This is our little of a contra contribution that we do and we're running a couple of these sites. So Alhamdulillah, we do it uh, at, at, at all our sites. Uh, and, and and this is our little bit of contribution so that they can experience and eat. What type of eat is it that we can fry our meat and we can skin our bulls and we can take it and we can cut it into different sections. But at the end of the day, the people that live in our community who skin our meat and clean our meat and slice our meat, they can't even begin to experience uh, it. So, yes, you know, we, we talk about uh, Islam in general, but we sometimes need to consider the specifics, the dynamics of the greater community uh, or, or the indigenous people that live with us. What is their position going to be on it? What is their position going to be? We talk about new clothes for ourselves. These people don't even have decent clothes. So what type of eat is that? You know, so I think the sacrifice is not only Kurubani. The sacrifice is actually thinking about the community members, people that live two and three and five kilometers away. Even when I drove in Durban uh, the last time and I was going to Reservoir Hills and I was looking at the squatter camps that have come up and mushroomed up over the years. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm driving into an elite area and yet I'm seeing all these things on the side. So we, we can't be oblivious. No matter where we are in which part of the country, we're bound to, be, to, 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 to experience the township environment wherever we are. Let's consider now, these are our black brothers. Some of them accepted Islam. What type of Islam are they practicing because they don't even have the basics? I mean, you talk about iftar. These people don't even experience iftar because they've got so little. You talk about seri when you're giving a lecture to them about uh, seri and iftar. They've got nothing. They don't have seri and iftar. But we're talking to them at a level that we take it for granted. So, you know, clearly revisualize, put things in perspective. It, it opens up your eyes in many ways. Zakala for that, and as you say, you know, many of our brothers uh, here locally, we have got involved uh, with the informal settlement, and uh, you know, amongst the good, uh, you know, you've got some of them very sincere, uh, some being opportunist, and uh, so forth. What happens if you find an individual there? You'll find he comes to you, and then you'll find out later he's even going to the church and uh, attending both the meetings. Uh, what do you do then, uh, Muhammad? I get these types and similar types of questions daily. I get asked about people become Muslims and continue to frequent the Shabins or the Tevans. I get asked about people that, like you asked me now. And to answer specifically to your type of question, it's the following. That if a person proclaims La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, he is my brother. And he is bound to make mistakes. Kullu bani Adam Nabi Sallallahu said that all the children of Adam irrespective of who they are, they're going to commit sins. They're going to commit mistakes. They're going to make errors. And this is the nature of the dunya. Which mufti hasn't committed a sin? Shafat, there isn't a mufti on the face of the earth. Which alim doesn't sin daily? Forget annually, daily. This is the nature of how we are. The makhluk is created daif. We are created weak. Now, in many ways, we expect people who went to church all their life. We expect to people who imbibed in alcohol all their life. We expected people that ate pork all their life to become sahaba overnight. 
and that this doesn't work. Look at the condition of our own people. A person may, you're right, it's a, very, it's a heinous crime for a person to come to masjid today and on Sunday go to church. I agree with you. But then there are Muslims, they don't even pray the whole week. How is it that we will treat that person as a Muslim and bury him in a Muslim cemetery, make his janazah, we'll do all these things for him. But this new Muslim that has some major flaws, no doubt about it, we want to treat him like a non-Muslim. Why is it? that we are so critical of people that come into Islam. When a person comes into Islam, we want to make sure that his religion is 100%. You know, when he makes salah, we're critical of how he makes his ruku, we're critical of how he makes his sijda. No brother, it means you, like, like he's an easy victim, you know, like somebody that we know much more than him. So we say, brother, you know, when you prayed, you shouldn't have prayed this way. Uh, you should have prayed like this. I mean, you put your shoes on, put your right shoe on. Put your, sure, we give that type of advice. But these people are learning by uh, day day by day. It may be that that person does not realize that it's khatra iman, that it's an endangerment to his iman, that if he goes and he churches, attends church services. I find regularly I'm faced with the question, my cousin who died, he's a Christian, Sunday is his funeral, can I go to the church? Can I attend the funeral services? Can I pay my respects? Forget cousin, my own brother, my own mother, my own father. Can I go to the services and attend these things? And uh, what's the position? So how difficult is it for them sometimes? Because they're faced with these situations. <coughs> we, on the other hand, we are, we have, alhamdulillah, most of our family is Muslim. So we don't ever have to confront these types of challenges. We don't ever have to go to a church because our cousin is getting married or somebody died or something. We don't have this, but... Try to understand the non-Muslims, those people that come into Islam and they such their brothers, their mothers and their fathers when they pass away. I'm not forget the cousins. We'll tell them don't bother for your cousin's funeral. But can you shy him away? Can you easily just discard his question and say, Don't use your mother's funeral, your father's funeral, you can't go. He's extremely sensitive about these things. So with that, you have to consider very carefully that we also need to look at the big picture from time to time. We need to consider circumstances, individual circumstances carefully. So my situation is education is important. A person may not know that on Sunday, if he goes to church, that he stands to lose his iman and he, he, he can fall out of the fall of Islam. But what hikmah and what wisdom, we tell him, brother, you are a Muslim now. When you become Muslim, the most important thing is you profess la ilaha illallah and you deny and you discard that there is more than one Allah, that the Trinity is in present. By you going to church, you reaffirming those values. And please, 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 for your sake of your iman, don't go to church anymore. You need, at that, at that time there, you need to consider very carefully, even staying at home, even even just sleeping in your bed would be a better thing to do for you. But it's obviously it's education. Uh, it's, 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 it's part of the process of teaching people. People are not. People don't become fully aware of the uh, of Islam. Today, as an adult person, me and you are still learning every day about Islam. We're learning things about Aqidah. We're learning things about Fiqh. We're learning things about Quran and Hadith. Till today, 40, 50, 60 years of practicing as a Muslim, and we still faced with these types of questions. How much more careful and considerate that we need to be towards new Muslims? And we find from the life of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that he had a, a special place for people that embraced Islam. He was much more lenient. He was much more easygoing. He was much more accommodating 
to uh, to the Bedouins and to the people that were rough and tough and the people that were not uh, were, were new Muslims. So Alhamdulillah, I think with this, we have to consider things and put things in perspective. And you ask me this question, other person will ask me about the alcohol. This person wants to embrace Islam, but he takes alcohol. You obviously... From an Islamic perspective, alcohol is haram, and I can't make alcohol halal under any circumstances. But at the same time, a person who takes alcohol doesn't become a kafir. He becomes a major sinner in Islam. But how do we deal with, this comes with experience, it comes with education, it comes with with, uh, with, with wisdom, that when you deal with these types of scenarios, and you you know because you in the Dawah field, you understand the dynamics of having to deal with new Muslims from time to time. And and yes, this is a very valid question, and I hope this was able to give you some sort of response that the listeners can appreciate and understand. Yeah, Muhammad, as you say, you know, we've been through the rigma role of uh, Dawah being in the uh, under the... Uh, Leader, I mean, Ahmad that being our captain of the ship, yeah, and we being the crew members, and Alhamdulillah, you are one of our soldiers now, Alhamdulillah. And, uh, you know, I, I tell you, when people used to come, and when they reverted to Islam, we gave them a green card, and that green card ensured, I mean, that there was, uh, you know, in the, in, in the instance of death, and uh, the person making parda from the dunya, that green sh- uh, card ensured that that... Uh, that rebut would have uh, been buried the Islamic uh, rights and all that. Uh, in, in 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 your case, what do you do? You know, when they revert to Islam, uh, what are some of the protocols that uh, you have with your organization? Uh, I can tell you for a fact. One thing I took out of Sheikh Ahmed Dilat's organization, the one thing I fully embraced was that green card of his. I know exactly what is it you are talking about. So what I did is. I have a certificate made. His was a card, like an identity card. I have a certificate made. And if a person embraces Islam with me today, I try to find an opportunity for him to do it again in a masjid environment. So why is that I want the community to know that they have a new brother and I want him to know that the community is receptive of who he is. You'll find, alhamdulillah, one beautiful advantage, one beautiful quality that we have is that we embrace the non-Muslims in our community. Have you seen our Muslims, how accommodating we are? Many times to new Muslims, brother, you need to come over to my house. I got so many books that I want to give you. Brother, please come have a meal with me. I want to listen to your exciting story. We have those things. So what I want, what I do is, it's well and good. You want to embrace Islam now in my shop. You want to embrace Islam now in my car. I'm willing to do it for you. But and you come tomorrow, lower time to this masjid on this corner. Let me show you where it is. Come here, I want you to embrace Islam again. So let me tell you that that chartered car that you were talking about, that green car that you were talking about, let me tell you the advantages today. I had to actually give a talk about two or three weeks ago to a group of teachers about the importance of this card. One is that if a person passes away, this green card actually serves to confirm that this person was a Muslim. So a lot of times people... I mean, there is no guarantee a person embraces Islam today that he's going to live to see next week this time. He could die tomorrow without having informed any of his family members. And you know what? We, we're living in a community where there's a cultural thing about burial. They're very sensitive about these issues. If you don't do some of this paperwork correctly, you will find that you're going to be in a huge problem. So this certificate that the issue, unfortunately, I've taken advantage of the fact that I'm a commission of oats. It, I make I turned it into an affidavit. So 
it's a it's it's partially like a codicil, partially like a will, where it says that I so and so have embraced Islam voluntarily, willingly, and I testify La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. And I say it in English, there is none worthy of worship besides Allah. And the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, is the my messenger. I declare that if should I die, that I need to be uh, buried in accordance with Islamic uh, rites, Islamic rituals. I have it there. And so that people, so the and it's an affidavit, so you sign in front of me and I put my commission of oath stamp on it. So that tomorrow, should there be a discrepancy, it's an oath, it was done under oath. And uh, Alhamdulillah, I've never, I've never had uh, uh, issues past that. So that's the first thing. The second thing I found is sometimes a person's name is Thomas. He wants to go for Umrah. He wants to go for Hajj. He goes to the embassy. The embassy says, I need you to prove that you are a Muslim. He's got your green card. He's got your, your certificate. He can go and he can say, here's it. I became a Muslim with this Imam, Imam Shafat Khan, two years ago in Durban, uh, uh, Grace Street Masjid. Here's my certificate. Alhamdulillah, the person will be granted an Umrah visa. A person will be granted a Hajj visa. The third thing that I found is that sometimes a person wants to get married. He goes to a town, uh, you know, uh, 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 he goes from one town to another. He comes there. Maybe he speaks to the family and the family wants to know, are you, are you really Muslim? You know, can I give my daughter to you? Your name in your, in your identity document is non-Muslim. And I don't want to carry any burden and any sin. So Alhamdulillah, he can serve to prove that this is is a, is a, is is now a Muslim, and he qualifies to get married in terms of Sharia. Another reason, if a person wants to change his name, he's tired of being called Thomas. His name needs to be now Taha. He uh, he uses this form. He goes to Home Affairs and he says, "I want to change my name." So the benefits and something that Sheikh Ahmadina started, Alhamdulillah, we can benefit out of this. We can go today, improve on what he left with us so much so that I'm giving you some of the benefits that over the years I've realized that it's important for us. And you know what's the best part? We have our cell phones. On our cell phones, we can take pictures of um, the certificate as soon as we issue it and sign it. We take a picture, a picture on your phone and you can then print it out at a later stage, keep it in your database. So tomorrow, six months down the line, a year down the line, the person passes away. You can pull up the certificate from your site, from your phone, and say, no, here's the certificate, and this person accepted Islam with me. So yes, you brought up this issue of green card. It's, this is something that many people overlook. Or they don't understand or they haven't uh, understood the importance of this or they don't know what the green card is about. Go down to the IPCI offices, go down to the Dawah centers and ask them for a certificate of testimony of Shahadat and, and see maybe you can use something like that. People are free to contact me. People are free to go to the IPCI and collect these green cards for them. No, absolutely. I think uh, uh, perhaps our Jamaatul Ulamas, uh, have they got, uh, uh, are they doing that? I believe they do so, uh, Muhammad. I haven't seen, I haven't seen, to be honest with you, this being widely used amongst uh, the Jamiat or the, the Dao, uh, some of the Dawa organizations. I know for a fact, and that's where I learned it, the IPCI does it as a matter of procedure. We do it as a matter of procedure. Alhamdulillah, we print them by the hundreds. We're using them up by the hundreds. People are using it, and the more we print, the happier we get. It's a nice, beautiful certificate. And like I say, when you come into the masjid, we give you the certificate in the presence and everybody. Remember, we're still dealing with people that came with a non-Muslim ideology, a non-Muslim mindset. These people, 
they if you honor them well the whole idea of a few people being present like a jalsa like a prize giving like a annual uh, event uh, people are if you if you did a particular cause and you now qualified the day you come for your graduation you get a certificate makes you feel proud that you've achieved something so in islam you don't need to give a certificate a certificate allah knows what is in your heart the certificate is only a paper demonstration of what's in your heart but at the end of the day we want that brother to feel that he has achieved something by accepting islam we want him to feel because of his mindset to say that you find you've got your certificate now now you you, call, you can call yourself a muslim and you've achieved something just by saying la ilaha illallah muhammad rasulullah just by saying that today you have achieved something in your life ji muhammad and also another, another important thing is uh, especially for the males as a circumcision uh, you maybe you have a whole uh, host of doctors uh, that uh, perhaps give free service uh, muhammad <laughs> yeah <laughs> ഫാൻ Uh, maybe maybe the, the, i'm giving you too much information at the same time one of the last topic we touch on is the circumcision i'll tell you why um with with us the most important thing is a person needs to develop aqida right and a person needs to develop his salah a person needs to develop himself internally and then we the emphasis will come on externally so in terms of a person's garb in terms of a person changing and wearing a kurta and uh, sometimes uh, people assume that to be muslim you need to be wearing a kurta and a shirt and a trouser would is unacceptable no i think what we do is it's it's all to do with um uh, uh, with, with 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 progress you know moving in such a way that is a natural progression so yes there are doctors that that will do a circumcision for us when requested but we always make it such that it comes from the side of the new muslim we do not touch on the topic not especially in the first few months we send him to madrasa we have him we have a start teach him his surahs he's getting his salah in place we don't touch on the topic from his a, a lot of times people do it because they consider it to be for health reasons because maybe a doctor or a nurse or something has encouraged them then when they realize that from a islamic perspective it's the right thing to do they feel encouraged and they come to the front but it is not an important aspect so much so that i will say that a person needs to embrace islam and he needs to go for his circumcision he needs to go for his khatna for me for us those that do dawa we do not approach that topic for anybody that wants to do dawa my advice to him is it is important to concentrate on the fundamentals of religion it's important to concentrate on la ilaha illallah and muhammadur rasulullah explain to him who allah is explain to him what nabism explain to him about the five pillars of islam explain to him about the six pillars of iman 
These are the fundamentals of faith. This is our Aqeedah. This is how a person Aqeedah develops. Like that, we find in time that a, people, a person naturally, and you've seen this yourself, once a person is into Islam, he naturally, without us asking him, he, he's growing his beard. He's naturally, without us asking, he's starting to wear the kurta, he's starting to wear the thobe. Without us asking him, he's starting to wear a topi, he's starting to wear a hat, he's starting to do the things that naturally a person starts to do. So, I would say, you know, uh, don't let's not scare people away. Let's not use that as a as, as a as, as some sort of impediment to a person wanting to accept Islam. You know, when a person goes to the toilet, he naturally cleans himself with water, and you find that when you are circumcised, that and this is how we talk to them. When you when you are circumcised, you find it's easier to keep that part of your body clean. You, you're staying away from diseases, you're staying away from harmful things. You'll find that naturally even doctors tell you, you're, you're, uh, from a medical perspective, you are now far better off being circumcised. So from an Islamic perspective, we'd like, you know, we, 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 we're ready to assist you. Uh, it costs a few hundred bucks, no problem. If you can't afford it, we will pay for it. Uh, but this is how we should do it. And it may take them a few months. It may take them a few years. They may not even bring it up at any stage. But uh, uh, you need to be extremely careful about some of the things because it just may just push somebody away from, from, from accepting Islam. You know, you make a valid point indeed uh, to have hikmah and a word in season because, uh, you know, they come from a culture of, uh, you know, some of them animists and some of them uh, come from a culture of, uh, you know, uh, respecting their ancestors and uh, ancestral worship and so forth. And uh, for you, you know, and your members uh, that you have there to know their background, how important is that, uh, you know, that uh, you need to really uh, uh, treat them uh, with uh, kid gloves, uh, Muhammad? Some topics are extremely sensitive. You know, when you talk about, when people talk, about the ancestors, it's something that's extremely sensitive to these people because they grow up believing that their ancestors are like gods. Their ancestors are, bring blessings on them. Their ancestors become angry with them. And when you talk to a person about Islam, clearly you have to then differentiate that the ancestors, unfortunately, have to deal with their own sins, their own merits and their own demerits. And you, la Allah does not place a burden uh, more than he can bear. You have your obligations and your responsibilities and they have now passed on and God will deal with them appropriately. Now, how do you deal uh, with, with these? And in the, uh, in the African tradition, they call them majlozis. You know, it's like these ancestors that they slaughter for. Now, we know as Muslims that you can slaughter for none other than Allah. We cannot slaughter in the name of this peer, this sheikh, this person, this majlazi, this ancestor. So when a person embraces Islam, this is something that needs to be discussed with him thoroughly to say, you know what, when you're going to go back to your town, when you're going to go back to your tribe, when you're going to go back, then what's going to happen is that you're going to find they're going to be slaughtering and you're going to be sitting in their company and they're going to slaughter that cow 
and they're going to say this we dedicate to our ancestors. You cannot even eat from that meat because this meat has not been uh, uh, sacrificed for Allah. It's been sacrificed for other than Allah. You cannot even be there as part of that ritual because that is a shirk ritual. So yes, you know, to be a Muslim means that we can't take part in the the the, the actions and the traditions and the, and the worship that the other religions considered uh, to be worship. Our worship is unique. Our worship is la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. There is none worthy of worship besides Allah. We have to consider and keep this in mind at all times. It is very easy for a person to lose his deen, most of the time unlo- unknowingly. Yes, people may not even realize that when I'm going to go home December and they're going to slaughter a cow and this is going to be for my great-grandfather and my great-grandfather is going to bless us, that this is all shirk. It's very important. And you, you know, you know, you right, quite rightly say we live in a community and a culture that this is rife, parcel of the upbringing, and this is part and parcel of how we need to deal with these people in a way that's diplomatic. And and I found many times this is an obstacle to Islam. A lot of people will turn around and say, you know what? If I can't believe that my ancestors are going to be a part of my future then I can't accept Islam, and that's the reality. This is, you know, their form of idol worship. And uh, you, just, you just have to deal with it, and you have to just pray that, uh, that, that Allah can give them guidance. So, Muhammad, whilst you're talking, my mind has been uh, swimming in the pool of thoughts. And I'm uh, thinking about the psychological uh, warfare, you know, the, in, in this country. There's a, definitely the target of uh, in this, such propaganda campaigns. Uh, you know, if you look at it, uh, Muhammad can include uh, maybe political organizations, advocacy groups, uh, military personnel and civilians. Right now, people's hearts and minds are captured by their hopelessness and their uh, def- uh, deprivation of poverty. And, you know, you got uh, nearly 60 percent of the people in this country uh, that do not have uh, food to eat. Imagine the kids going to bed crying, no food to eat. And in this, uh, you know, scenario of, po- of poverty and hopelessness, uh, you know, people are talking about crime and the need to do crime just to survive. And, you know, people like yourselves that are there in uh, the townships trying to make a difference. How do you deal with this issue when you have someone that's, you know, in the depths of a, a poverty? They can't listen to you because the only uh, thing they have on the mind is food. Uh, I mean, the government has failed them. The basic needs they can't provide for them. What do we do, uh, Mohammed? Shafat. In the face of adversity, a boor mak a plan. Let me explain to you. Hey, here's a boor here, man. on. Let me explain to you. Take advantage of the financial situation at the moment. And what do I mean by that? One is that whenever you have an event, make sure you provide lunch for the people. Why not? What did it cost you to put up a pot of food? A thousand rand? Me, you, and maybe... We take our wives out to a restaurant, it's a thousand rand, it's two thousand rand. I can put cook a pot of food for a thousand rand. For two thousand rand, I can feed a small village. Let me be honest with you. If we go into a, when we go into a township, we take a pot of food with us. Every Juma we're busy feeding in our masjid. And the people are coming, Muslims 
are coming for Juma, they're getting a plate of food, they're eating in the masjid, and they're taking their tupperware home, and they're going to feed their family maybe afternoon or maybe tonight or even maybe over the weekend. Alhamdulillah, we are so happy. We are so blessed to be given this opportunity that we have, and people are coming and knocking on our doors and saying, we want some of the food that you have to offer. And we're cooking big, big pots, pots that will feed 100 and 200 people at a time. Very easily, we're feeding everybody that comes to Masjid. Very easily, we're feeding the immediate community. So now, use that as a tool. Use it as an opportunity to do dawah. I'm coming to your location. I'm coming to your township on Saturday afternoon. We're going to have a meal. We're going to fill everybody who is there. And people, like you say, people are hungry. They can listen to you. But when people are full, they can listen to you. In fact, what did Sheikh Ahmad do? What did Ibrahim Alayhi do? What did Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam do? They used to invite people over and give them a, pl- a, a plate of food. Why? Because now a person who eats at your table, he is going to listen to every word that you say. He is now subjected to what you have to offer. He will, he will not argue with you. He will not challenge you. Out of respect of being in your home, out of respect to eating your food, you will listen to you. And that is a very beautiful way of doing da'wah. So that you you, you bring up a challenge and I'm bringing up a solution. I'm saying today if we need to raise 2,000 rand for a pot of food, one phone call, alhamdulillah, there are members in the community that will give you 2,000 rand. I don't even have to make two phone calls to raise that money. There are people in our community that if you say, you know what, we want to feed this weekend, they will come and they will say the spot of food is is, 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 is is from us. So take this opportunity. Let's not look at the adversity of the situation. Let's look at the opportunity that when the first people that embrace Islam were who? Were the fuqara, masakin, the poor, the needy. Those people were the first people to embrace Islam. They are not haughty. They are not arrogant. Go into some of the affluent areas. Go stand there with a pot of food in the, in, uh, on the corner of the seat. Nobody will come. Nobody asks them, say, I need 10 minutes of your time. I need two minutes of your time. I want to talk to you about Islam. They will not even give you a second glance. So, how can we take this adversity and turn it into a positive? My brother, the opportunity is there to take our out, take that pot of food, feed the people, Show them what Islam is about. Show them Allah in front of them. Let them see we're not worshipping an idol. Let them see that their children are in good hands. Shafat, we have got madrasas that the children know 20, 10 and 20 surahs, the last 10 and 20 surahs, and their parents are not Muslim. I had one brother that accepted Islam with me a month ago. His daughter, I found out, was attending the madrasa for two years, and he was she was 12 years old. Imagine... You will never allow a 12-year-old to change your religion. They are giving 12-year-olds as their sacrifice, the sacrifice of Qurbani. They're giving their 12-year-olds to the masjids, to the madrasas, to the mulanas, and they're saying, you know what? We can see that the Muslim children are disciplined. We can see that the Muslim children don't drink. They don't fight. They don't swear. We want our children to be like the Muslim man. We want him to be like Muslim he must come to there and learn. And for two years, this girl was learning Islam and she was learning and her father was not Muslim. And when I met him, I said, you mean to say for two years your daughter is Muslim? In 10 minutes, I got him to accept Islam. His daughter was over the moon when she came and she found out that her father had now accepted Islam. So, alhamdulillah, 
if we complaining, then we have not understood the opportunity. If we are looking for all these types of negativities, turn these negativities into positives. Let's go and let's do the dawa. And like the businessman was successful amongst the poor first, he was successful about the miskin, he was successful with those people that were uh, that were suffering. Let's go and reach out to these people. And that's the, the, the at the end of the day, it's not about black, it's not about white. It's about taking the message out to the people. And if the person accepts Islam, Alhamdulillah, he is my brother, irrespective of what he was in the past, irrespective of the color that he has. Uh, uh, Allah is. Uh, Ajim Muhammad, you know, listening to you, and I, I'm thinking deep here, you know, the onus is there for perhaps to steer maybe decision-making in this country and to ensure that uh, we protect not... Uh, only ourselves, but uh, most importantly, the youth are from uh, damaging, uh, you know, we spoke about uh, psychological warfare or psychological uh, propaganda being waged uh, on this country and, uh, and its citizens. So, uh, Muhammad, I have to be, uh, we share alarmist and unverified news or information about these alleged uh, national breakdowns. Uh, think about uh, the trauma this is uh, likely to inflict on, 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 on the kids, well, especially, the, you know, these uh, children that are uh, accepting Islam coming to you and, you know, you understanding uh, what is the psychology and understanding the type of work that you are doing there. And uh, perhaps there are frightened people that are in your midst. And sometimes there's also a fear factor amongst us. Dai is going into, you know, town, uh, township situation and worrying about when will the next guy hijack me, uh, looted and so forth. But that conviction you have, uh, Muhammad, you and your team, it has to be commended and uh, there, you know, as you said, if we as Muslims have implicit faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and take on this initiative, it's a win-win situation all around. Your thoughts? Naam, Naam Shafat. I know you, the dynamics of working in indigenous people comes with its challenges. You know, you find that you go in there on Sunday, people are drunk, people are rowdy, people are making a noise, people are chanting, singing, dancing. This is the culture. We only have ourselves to blame when we see this type of culture. That means we're not doing our job. If our job was being done 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and the dynamics of this country was different, we would have been living in a Muslim environment. Yes, I can understand. The perils are there. We've been hijacked once. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I tell my guys, you have an obligation to convey the message and if you do not convey the message and you have not discharged your responsibility Allah will protect you against the people so there was direct protection that was given to the wisdom and we have it in our hearts that if we go out and we do dawah, that Allah is protecting us. Why not? We're not going there for gambling. We're not going there for merrymaking. Allah will protect us. Any, for any particular reason, Allah takes us away for, for whatever the reason may be. This is fi sabirillah that we have. This is the best uh, death that a person can experience. So yes, you know, the challenges out there, maybe working in an indigenous community, working amongst the youth. Today we are seeing challenges amongst the youth that we never saw 20 years ago. Shufat, the, the, the number of, uh, of, of concerns I'm getting from parents about atheism 
um, amongst the young generation, children are now questioning: Is there an exist? Is there uh, does God exist? Why is there famine? Why is there uh, infanticide? Why are children uh, dying innocently? And if there is a God, how do? And not only that, if you go to YouTube and you see the amount of anti-Islamic sentiment, you see the amount of atheists. Uh, 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 videos that are coming out. Yes, uh, Muhammad. You know, uh, you were talking so eloquently before we had the gremlins uh, coming through, talk, <coughs> talking about the social aspect of social media. Continue, uh, Muhammad. So I was saying that you know, me and you never had access to social media thirty, forty, fifty years ago. Without wanting to give away your very young age, I have to say these things. We never had YouTube. Today on YouTube, you're finding the good with the bad. You're finding good talks, stimulating talks, but at the same time, you're finding now people that have left Islam, people that are promoting atheism, people that are promoting LGBTQ plus ABC. We're having all these issues that the youngsters today have embraced, and I'm getting calls from parents that are saying, "My child is now considering leaving the fold of Islam. Why?" You know, because he's following X, Y, Z on YouTube. He's listening to, he's come, he's come onto this website and people are now talking and saying that God doesn't exist and they're using maybe classical examples or they're using uh, Quranic, uh, Quran and scripture to even promote their false ideologies. And this is the reality. So, yes, we're living in a new environment where we need to up our game. We're living with new challenges nowadays. The drugs and the scourge of drugs in the community is something that we have unprecedented. When previously it was maybe just Dacha, you know, nowadays it's like heroin, it's like tuck, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's the drugs that are continuing to evolve based on the financial situation, based on the hierarchy system and how deep you're into drugs. So we, we definitely need to consider how we deal with the youth in a different framework compared to 30 years ago. And some of the challenges of working in the township and working in our community requires us to up our game and to consider ourselves very carefully. Muhammad, perhaps a very important question here is, uh, you know, uh, South Africa is a uh, sea of Christianity and uh, you find even you go to the informal settlements and you go wherever. Uh, most of our people, our indigenous people are members of church and, you know, you'll find that the church has made life uh, very easy for them in that, uh, you know, allowing promiscuity, allowing alcoholism and uh, drug abuse and so uh, that because the church is incapable of handling the situation or giving a solution. And you find uh, that the uh, pastors are praying, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, on uh, the masses, no matter how poor they are, but they still extort uh, money from them and so forth. Uh, And still you find that most of the youth and most of the people of this country, talking about African brothers and sisters, uh, will uh, move towards the church. Your thoughts, uh, Mohammed? Churches have become big business, not only in this country, not only in Africa, around the world. Go to the USA and people are punting for private jets. The churches are sponsoring private jets. Go to Nigeria, and these pastors have become international celebrities. In our own country, these Afrikaners, these black guys are living. Look at this Bushiri, typical example of a person that came to South Africa and made a fortune and then still stole the money and ran back to his country. This is the reality of the people that, uh, and the Quran talks about it. The Quran says, These people, what they do is they, they, they hide 
the wealth, the gold and the silver. They hide the wealth of the community and they do not pay it to the rightful beneficiaries. So the Quran Islam is far leaps and bounds today. The poor Molana, the poor Alim is the one struggling to make ends meet. But on the other hand, the pastors and the priests are the one living the five-star luxury lifestyle. So, you know, uh, we, we're seeing it and that's the reality. But it's about numbers in Christianity. Today you can be a homosexual, you're welcome. Today you can change your gender, you're welcome. Today you can commit bestiality, you're welcome in our church. Today you can commit any sin under the sun. And Jesus Christ has paid for your sins and they promote, continue to promote unsavory behavior. They continue to promote un-Islamic behavior, ungodly behavior, because this is, it's about numbers. It's about you come to my church and give me your tithe, give me your 10% of your earnings. I am going to drive a fresh Rolls Royce and I don't care how the people suffer under me. You can eat grass and you can spray doom in your face at the end of the day. I'm going to benefit financially and I don't care about you measly peasants. This is the reality. Islam is a totally different approach. When people go to Islam and they see that the the and the Muslims and the Imam and the condition of, of the community, they understand that I don't pay 10% to the Imam so he can drive a fancy car. If I have a few uh, uh, rents that I want to give out to charity hand to hand, I give it to a recipient in the street and this is how my charity is discharged and this is how Islam encourages me to continue to promote and, and do good in a way that it's not a money-making opportunity for the priests and the pastors. So yes, the reality of the situation is Islam is leaps and bounds ahead. We have been warned about these crooks and these cowards in the Quran. We have been told and foretold how these people will continue to... I mean, even the story of Salman al-Farsi, how he talks about his journey to Islam, and in the mix, he talks about how he can counter these priests who used to hoard the wealth of the community and they used to store it underneath the metal. And they continued to preach from the pulpit about the blessings that, uh, and about you know the 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 the, 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 the uh, uh, Christianity in a good mer- uh, in a good mode, but at the end of the day, the simple crooks and charlatans stealing money away from the people. Yes, Shafat, this is the condition of the churches. So we're not intimidated by the churches at all. Absolutely, uh, our half is. Attorney Muhammad Kubadia, you walk the talk uh, this evening, and you know I'm I'm thinking legally preaching Islam in the informal settlements, and uh, you know what? Allah bless you for that. Allah give you barakah. Your parting words uh, this evening. Jazakallah once again to you this evening for having us on your show. It's always a pleasure. We we you know we, we with you, it's totally impromptu. You don't give us an opportunity to. To prepare for any, you know, you ask us off the top, off off the top of your head, you 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 ask us a few questions, and we have to respond. That's what I enjoy about it. You keep us on our toes. You keep us young. You keep us active. You put us on the spot to make sure that we're doing things correctly. Allah rewards you uh, for for your effort. Allah rewards your listeners for taking the time out to listen yeah. to a simple person like uh, like myself. Um, just just giving a personal point of view. Alhamdulillah. Allah gives us an opportunity in our life to take advantage of these things. So we do take advantage of these things. We just hope that we can use it to share the good news, 
to share the good work that we do so that other people and other brothers can be encouraged. You don't need to be an alim. You don't need to be Muslim for 20 years before you can do dawah. Everybody should have some inclination in his heart to start somewhere and like that, the opportunity grows. Sheikh Amr did that, started in a little shop somewhere, uh, challenging when these people came and they, they had a little debate. And from there, Allah took him debate to debate to debating Jamie Swaggart and those, all those other characters there, but started somewhere. This is the encouragement on the day of Qiyamah, whatever Good we, which we do, Allah subhanahu wa brings this for in the law, la Allah does not discard, Allah does not do away all the actions of the muhsin, all these things are brought forward. So jazakallah khair, I hope this is some sort of encouragement to every citizen out here, to every Muslim out there to become a da'i and to take Islam to all corners of the world, inshallah. Ameen, Asuma, Ameen. Our attorney, Hafiz Muhammad Kubadia, you have a blessed evening ahead. I'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Time for us to go for the Isha Azan and inshallah we will continue with the pertinence, uh, uh, not pertinence, wasail al-alam as-sadiqa after that with uh, the Russian ambassador and also our member of parliament Ahmad Manzur Sheikh Imam. <laughs>